Dear listeners, this is Interfaith-ish. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and every other Wednesday right here on Tacoma Radio, we bring you bold conversations about what we believe, why we believe, and how we navigate the common ground and differences between our traditions. Since peace on earth and goodwill towards men are the holiday theme of this week, I thought I'd play some interviews recorded during September's Unity Walk. For those of you who haven't attended the walk, This is one of the premier interfaith events in the D.C. area. Each September, hundreds of D.C. area residents and friends walk together along a stretch of Massachusetts Avenue, which is known as Religion Row because of all the houses of worship. I've been going to this event for almost a decade, and I have to say, between the gorgeous weather and the awesome turnout, this was probably my favorite year yet. We started, as we do most years, at Washington Hebrew Congregation, a reform synagogue with one of the largest Jewish congregations in the area. As I waited for the program to start, I walked through the resource fair looking for friends to talk to. I'm Ann Golightly. I'm the head of public affairs for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints here in the metro Washington, D.C. area. This is particularly a perfect uh, kind of bringing together of all that's good about interfaith because people that know each other um, connect in a very uh, in a very simple way. We walk together, yeah. you know? What's been, what's been something challenging that you, as somebody coming from the LDS church, has encountered being in an interfaith space? Well, there's always lots of assumptions about what we believe or what we don't believe. You know, we're still polygamous or we're not Christian. People making that assumption about LDS. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Or everything we want is to proselyte and convert everyone into our particular faith. And people have good reason for seeing that as kind of the outside, but I mean, if we go back to Joseph Smith, you know, he said I would stand up for a Muslim and a Baptist as much as I'd stand up for a Mormon, uh, which was our, what we called ourselves back then. And he named Baptists and Muslims? He he named a whole bunch, many more than I just named, Catholics. And that is our deep down philosophy. And so sometimes our, obviously, feet on the ground are, our, our uh, missionaries who do a great thing, trying to follow what we think Christ told us to feed my sheep and go out and teach, uh, gets uh, conf- confused as something we want to do to convert lots of people when really we're just trying to do what we think Christ wanted us to do. And we respect people's choice to make their own decisions about their faith. And I think what missionaries generally do, if anyone sits down with a missionary, they will find it's more about asking questions than sell a sales pitch. It is not a sales pitch. It's very much an asking questions and saying, what is it you're struggling with? How can you, you know, what, what do you need? Do you turn to a higher being? And if, if not, do you want to he- hear how we do that? You know, and, and, and that sounds just, similar to interfaith spaces. It is. Those it questions. is very much that way. Do you feel like as somebody who's who holds a certain public affairs position in in the LDS community that you've seen a a tangible shift in terms of the LDS um, community's involvement with interfaith work more more outwardly and Um, so forth? I know that has happened. I remember talking to uh, Ed White, a good friend of ours, who said, man, 25 years ago, 30 years ago when I started this, there were never Latter-day Saints at the table, and now you're everywhere. Uh, so in his experience here in the Washington DC area, that's been the case. And I think it is in mine too. I mean, I think um, once people caught the vision that this is uh, that we uh, can do more good together than we can alone, um, uh, we've been doing a lot of preaching internally about the blessings of this. So for instance, this Unity Walk, this is my eighth year, I think, or seventh year or something coming, and we had the broadest uh, sharing of this this year uh, than I've ever seen. I mean, every local stake, every ward announced it. I I don't know if it'll turn into more Latter-day Saints coming. I hope so. I think it will. It'll be hopefully lots of new people, which is awesome. A lot of of doing interfaith work is is learning for ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Learning, actually learning about our own tradition oftentimes because we're there to represent to other people and Mm -hmm. we we see those gaps in our own knowledge. But 
obviously learning about other people. So, so for you, what would you say is, is one blind spot that you acknowledge about your own understanding that you would like to learn more about? Well, I'm reading a great book right now on holy envy. And, um, what does that mean? It's, it's finding uh, what you admire in other religions uh, and respecting that. And one of the things the author talks about is even though you might think, oh, uh, I love, you know, this about uh, the way Catholics serve so much in the community, uh, or I love how Muslims pray so frequently, or the depth of Jewish um, feeling toward the high holidays, um, or something. You can't ever, as a non-believer in those areas, fully understand or appreciate that until, you know, as a non-believer, no matter how, you, how deep you study, because it's, it, it's a culture, it's in their genes, I mean, to the extent, you know, they... Um, they are a true believer. And so I think that's an interesting idea, um, is how do you really come to appreciate what is in other faiths that um, you probably can never fully understand, and yet not just think of it like, uh, I'm in a store and oh, I like that, and I like this, and I like that, but really wholeheartedly appreciate the depth of those those religious beliefs. Um, and, and so I think that's an interesting idea. I think uh, that I'd like to, come to appreciate more. I also think just the idea of God and a higher being is, uh, uh, is interesting in how each faith views that, that, that higher being. And obviously Buddhists don't have the belief in that particular higher being and I think that's interesting how they put so much on themselves and, and finding you know light from within. But anyway, there, there are many things to learn uh, in deepening my own faith and in having greater understanding for humanity by understanding these deep, deepest core, core values and principles that people hold so dearly. Here's a uh, hardball question. All right. Is there a line in the sand for you about somebody who's not welcome at the interfaith table? We have had a lot of conversations about this going way back. Oh, okay. And my perspective has changed a bit over time. So I would be more open to anyone participating. Not to say that I still think that people who aspire to a faith are probably the most likely focus for the interfaith council conference, yeah. but certainly non-believers, atheists, human, you know, and all the whole laundry of people who are trying to seek ways to improve community um, have reasons to work together. There's no reason we shouldn't be working together on good things. So what I'm hearing is, is but that I don't know that I would that more, struggle. I don't know that I would change the interfaith council to have as members on it, yeah, as an institution, but certainly I think we should have and I hope today we have people of non-faith and everyone else yeah. uh, that could enjoy each other. Thanks, Anne. Good to see you. Likewise. I'll likewise. look for. Yeah, I want to. I love your show. Thank you. It's great. The few I've listened to, I'd like to listen good. to some more. Good, good, good. Please do. Good. <laughs> right. All right. Take Thanks, Anne. I'll you see you around. Bet. Thank you. My name is Christina Tobias Nahi. I'm with Islamic Relief USA and I'm on the public affairs and interfaith team. Great, great. So tell me about what Islamic Relief is doing here today. So we are one of the largest international humanitarian organizations uh, working all over the world in disaster zones as well as doing development work. We also work here in the U.S. Uh, with a similar portfolio working with the International Red Cross, for example, responding to disasters here in our backyard. But we're here particularly because we do a lot of interfaith work, whether uh, you know with its disaster response or uh, programming for the homeless or food pantries. Um, you know, we're, we're here to serve with others, service through action with our interfaith partners. Awesome. So tell me, what was the last interfaith engagement that you personally participated in? Well, we, we, we do them all the time. Um, it's really part of our mission of what we do, um, both in terms of who we serve. We serve beneficiaries of all populations, those who are affected by the issues that I mentioned, whether they're uh, you know, impacted by a disaster or living in poverty. Uh, but the last 
big interfaith uh, that I participated in was actually earlier this spring at the Vatican in Rome. Oh wow! Uh, with the Pope. Wow, that's so pretty yeah, so we top had, of the list we, right there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you need to show off for me there, because geez. <laughs> so Islamic Relief was invited to participate along with organizations of other faiths uh -huh. uh, to come and talk about the international humanitarian work we do and to also showcase our interfaith partnerships. Wow. Uh, because the Pope was very much uh, interested in us all working together to solve the world's greatest problems. And so who are some of the interfaith partners, maybe at an institutional level, that, inter uh, that Islamic Relief works with? Yep, so uh, some of our biggest partners are those well-established humanitarian organizations that do similar work that we do, such as Catholic Relief Services, World Vision, uh, HIAS, uh, which is Hebrew uh, Immigration Aid, Services, uh, American Jewish World Services. Um, I could go on and on, but yeah, a large a number. Yeah. Yeah. And and today, what would be what would you say one tangible thing that you're looking to come out of your presence here today would be? That's a good question. I mean, just it's it's really here just for solidarity. We're giving out bracelets. Uh, we have five values that we kind of. Uh, our work turns around and one of them is social justice so we're giving out our social justice bracelets today and I guess it's just you know working together and walking together and enjoying these last summer days together um, building friendships and, and hopefully um, yeah, making the world a more peaceful place <laughs> my name is Sukhaneet my name is Liv great and what organization are you guys here with today the kid the kid Sick Kid to Kid. Okay, so tell me, what is Sick Kid to Kid? What does that mean? It's the, it's a, it, er, eradicate ignorance with the power of education. Great, great. So can you guys, you, are you both members of the Sick community here in the D.C. area? Yes. So can you explain to people, what is, what is the Sick Faith about? What does it mean to you? What do you do? What is the Sikh faith? We have, we've got a ringer coming in. Okay. Should I introduce myself? Sure. So I'm Anmol and I'm 17. So Sikh faith to me is all about equality and I guess a diligent work ethic. So we have, in Sikhism we have this, uh, after our services we have something called seva, langar seva. So everyone sits on the floor and eats a communal meal together regardless of, back then it was caste, regardless of caste, gender, race or anything like that. So that's one of the big big ideas of Sikhism to me. Awesome. And so for kids, do you like being in the community? Are there lots of kids? Yes, yes it's very fun. Yeah. And what do you do with other kids in the Sikh community? Do you have classes together or projects? Um, we have like um, a Gurmat school where you learn your language and you learn about your um, religion. You also learn about the people that lived before you in your religion. They sacrificed their life. Oh, can you tell me a quick story about somebody who's a hero in your community? By Daru Singh. And he lived a peaceful life with other people. And, and, he, and he didn't care who came, he would just help them. Yeah, if there were, um, there's no, he said there's no high caste and there's no low caste. He also, if it was a Muslim person, a, a Sikh person, or like a Hindu person, he'd still help anyone. And where did he live? Probably Punjab. Punjab, Amritsar. I think it's Lahore. No, I th yeah, I think it was Amritsar or Lahore. Lahore. It's northern India. Cool. And so what does that story tell you? Like, what's the lesson of that story for your life? Um, uh, like, the lesson is no matter who's, who's what religion, who says anything about them, you should still help them. There's no reason you shouldn't. And do you find that there's ways to do that in your own life? Do you, have, do you have ways to do that in your neighborhood or your school? Yeah, if like a kid comes up to you and says, do you want to be my friend? You, you would you'd say, say yes because it's part of our religion to include everyone. Cool, that's really excellent. I can tell that you all are great representatives of your community. So tell me, I'm, I'm curious, when you have you been to interfaith gatherings like this before? Have you done anything like this? This is pretty big, huh? What is what? What's your impression of it? What do you what do you think of all these people getting here together? I think that you should really learn about all these religions. It's not like you should only stick to your religion and not learn about others, but you should really learn about others too. We like to share with the whole entire world. That's why it's called the kid to kid because you you share sick key to all the world. It's beautiful. That's a really beautiful message. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me.
my name is Rachel Hansen, and I'm here representing the uh, the Sixth Church of Christ Scientists, which is on Massachusetts Avenue, um, and also the Christian Science Reading Room that that church maintains on Macomb Street in Northwest Washington. Awesome. Is the community, the Christian Science community, often involved with interfaith, interfaith activities? You know, we we actually aren't, which is one of the reasons I I'm here, is because I sometimes feel like we're a little underrepresented. <laughs> in these organizations. Um, why, why would you say that is? Well, I, one of the major reasons is because we don't have clergy. And so there isn't like a dedicated person who just has a salary and time during their day to, to like be the representative that comes to interfaith stuff. Um, so you appointed yourself. So I appointed myself. I'm now the outreach committee. <laughs> um, right, so we don't, it, it's easier for other denominations that have rabbis or priests or imams or you know, pastors that are employed people to find the time to attend a Tuesday lunchtime interfaith group with other clergy. The leadership level. Um, since we don't have that, it's sometimes hard for us to, to find a place or to be involved. We, we have actually as our pastor two books, <laughs> uh, which are, are valuable and important to us and are the foundation of our practice, but they don't show up to meetings, right? And so tell me, what, what was the last interfaith activity or engagement that you personally were involved in? I personally, well, well, I do interfaith dialogue every day because my husband is Muslim. So oh, it's, a, it's cool. a night and day activity for us. Um, so we won't get too personal then about that. <laughs> <laughs> the last formal activity was probably the organization that organized this Unity Walk. Interfaith Council. Yes, also does a youth summit. And so I was a presenter at that, as well as attending it with my husband. So that's probably the last organized thing. But I, I love starting interfaith conversations with people, so Very it cool. happens quite often. What would you say, coming out of an event like this, what would you hope to, to get? Something tangible, one thing that, that you're hoping to leave here today with? As someone manning a table, um, and as a Christian scientist, one of the reasons I participate in these is because there's a lot of misconceptions about Christian science out there, um, and also just a lot of ignorance. People either don't know anything, or they might know something that's really not quite true and is maybe a little negative. Um, and so I like to come here just to be able to have a nice conversation and say, I'm a Christian scientist, and I'm like a normal, cool, I think, a normal, cool person. Um, you're the one standing here talking to me, so yeah, I guess you I'm get sure to your Muslim husband would agree. Yes, right. Uh, and so just to be here to correct misunderstandings about Christian science. Um, I've also, not just today, but interfaith dialogue for me has been really valuable for my own practice and my own articulation of my belief because a lot of times if we just talk to people who believe the same thing, we can sort of cop out when we get to something hard and say, oh, you know, and then they say, oh yeah, I know. But like you never have to force yourself to, to figure out how to say it. And, and so talking, there's, a, there's some kind of tricky concepts that are very abstract or, or are very different than just the way that the world generally thinks about life and about God and about our bodies that Christian science teaches. And they can be hard to explain, but the more you, are, the more you explain them to different people, the more you learn how to say that and how, how, what words to use, and also learning to use the words of the vocabulary of others instead of just relying on your own jargon. So you talked about hard conversations. Yeah. For you, what would be a blind spot that you acknowledge for yourself in your own experience? Some, something that's, that, that you know is, is tricky for you to work out with, with somebody from a different tradition. I don't know where they are, but the Zoroastrians are usually here. I don't know very much about what they believe. I couldn't explain it to someone else. I also think it's important, for example, we're often um, confused with Scientology. <laughs> that's, a, that's not a blind spot question because people ask it all the time. Oh, you're Scientologist. Like, well, no, that's pretty different. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a lot of, people say a lot of bad stuff about Scientologists too. Um, and I don't know, I don't know very much about what they believe. I took a tour of the L. Ron Hubbard house once and that was interesting. Um, but also because, because I know what it's like to be badmouthed and to be misunderstood, I feel very strongly that it should never be my place to badmouth somebody, even when it's people thinking that I'm a Scientologist, 
I'm not going to make any judgment or say anything unkind about Scientologists because I don't know. I don't know. I don't know anyone who is. I don't know why they believe it or what, what it touches in them that makes them feel like that's truth, and that's not my business. Um, or it's my business if I'm trying to understand it, but to just comment on it is not, is not the right thing to do, I don't think. For you, is there a line in the sand somewhere that you would not engage with somebody, some group, a certain type of individual in, in interfaith dialogue or collaboration? The line would probably be harder for collaboration. I mean, for example, we, I mean, we, we do believe in spiritual healing, um, and that's central to what we do. Um, a lot of people think, oh, Christian scientists are the ones who don't believe in doctors, right? Which is another one of those misconceptions and maybe misstatements. Um, but we do believe in spiritual healing, and we have many, many documented cases of it over the many years that this denomination has existed. Um, so, for example, asking a Christian science church to pitch in, you know, staffing and monetarily for like the uh, Susan G. Komen cancer research walk would probably not be the kind of a collaboration that a Christian Science Church would do. Um, that I mean, all branch churches are independent, so I'm in no way speaking for what any other branch church would do, or even what mine would do. <laughs> that would be a group decision, but that's an example of perhaps the kind of collaboration that wouldn't sit really well with us. Um, in terms of my, who I would have dialogue with, I don't, you know, anybody. As long as they're interested in having dialogue. You're very gracious. Yes. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's what we do. Christ is our model. Sasson performing at September's Unity Walk here in D.C. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Interfaith-ish on WOWD 94.3 FM. I'm your host, Jack Gordon, and this week we're playing interviews recorded at the Unity Walk. After the kickoff at the Washington Hebrew Congregation, it was time to walk. On the street, I continued to meet lots of new friends, many of whom were at the Unity Walk for the very first time. So my name is David Dash and Keys. You can call me Dash. Uh, my pronouns are they and them. I am here, uh, well, I guess representing uh, the Firefly House. It's a Wiccan uh, tradition here centered in Washington, D.C. Great. And is this your uh, first time coming to this event or have you been here before? It is my first time coming to the Unity Walk, actually. I hadn't heard of it before and something about social media and the timing just sort of penetrated in. Uh, I've been living in the area for a couple of years and it just hadn't turned up before. What are your impressions? What in inspired you to, to join this time around? Oh, uh, the opportunity to get involved in any activity that involves multiple phases, whether it's learning together or performing some kind of service project. This has been sort of my bread and butter for about 20-ish 20, 20 years. Uh, uh, interfaith work, interfaith dialogue, and interfaith activism has been a big piece of the way that I approach the world and a big piece of the way that I approach my own sense of self and spirituality. Uh -huh. And tell me a little bit about where, where you're coming from with the, with the Wiccan tradition. How, how does that fit into interfaith spaces often? The theology of, of Wicca, such as it is, doesn't necessarily uh, like have a, a, any requirement for or against working with other people or encountering other people where they, where they are in, in their spirituality and in their lives. So for me, it's mostly personal interest. Um, I, I find that the, the call to do no harm, the, the Wiccan read, is, is a powerful one. 
and the one of the ways that we can avoid harming others is to learn more about them. If we just make the assumption that the way we would like to be treated is the same way that other people want to be treated, you I can think make, I've heard that one mistakes. before. Yeah. So uh, you know, the Wiccan read uh, tells us do no harm. And so that requires us to learn about the other person. So mm -hmm. in that way, uh, I am drawn through my own interpretation of, of Wiccan uh, ethical concepts and, and brought to organizations and events like this. And what's the, the most recent thing that you uh, remember learning about somebody else's tradition, maybe even today since you've been here? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, I, I, I didn't learn it well. But the most recent thing I can think of learning was the, the handshake that the Zoroastrian uh, religious figure uh, uh, attempted to teach us all there in the, in the room. Uh, I remember the motion more so than I remember the words that he told us to speak because it's already... There's a Zoroastrian uh, there we go. Uh, yeah. priest right there. You I could ask. I could, I could get my memory refreshed. Just <laughs> That's true. what I think about so, this event. Uh, yeah, so that, uh, that, uh, that experience uh, was new to me. I haven't had the opportunity to encounter too many Zoroastrians uh -huh. uh, uh, once before at the uh, Parliament of the World's Religions, and that was it. So, oh, okay, cool. so seeing and interacting with that faith community is, is always a treasure. So what, what's um, similarly one thing that's been a, a struggle or a blind spot for you that you find when you, um, either for yourself or when you're encountering other people in interfaith sure. spaces? So many times uh, there's an assumption of, of either like a monotheism or a pantheism, and I find that often uh, polytheism, I'm myself in a polytheist, tends to be... Uh, if not forgotten, but sort of overlooked, sort of thought of as that thing we did in the past, we, the, the human species. Uh, and yet, uh, myself and many other people uh, are always, or, or remain, uh, uh, polytheists. So the, the opportunity to come out and sort of share that with people every once in a while is kind of nice. And what, what could be done then to uh, encourage better conversation with folks like yourself that mm. come from a... Uh, Perhaps you could say unorthodox tradition right. that people aren't expecting. <laughs> um, I think this, uh, events like this, like today, are a great opportunity for everybody to come together and a great opportunity for people to, to just step up as you did for me and say, hey, let's chat. Uh, you have motives for doing that, clearly, but even just walking along the street, uh, people are asking about the symbols that I wear, they're, they're asking uh, about my pronoun button, thing, all sorts of different ways to engage somebody just visually with something that they don't expect, and then that can draw people into a conversation. For you, is there a line in the sand? Is there anybody that you wouldn't uh, engage in dialogue with or engage in mm. some sort of collaborative activity in interfaith spaces with? Ah, see, I think you, you, you sort of had two things there. I, I don't think there's anybody that I wouldn't try to engage in dialogue with. I'm willing to at least speak to just about anybody. However, there are people that I would probably put a line in the sand about collaboration, uh, uh, white supremacists, uh, ethno-nationalists, people of that sort. Um, I would engage them in dialogue, uh, try to see maybe if we could... Uh, uh, just to try to understand the point of view that brings about such a such a hateful ideology, uh, but I would I would really hesitate before I would I would want to collaborate with them in a way on a project or, or something along those lines just because of the the um, the splashback like you know the the damage that such an ideology has on the communities that surround it uh, and would I then be perceived as in support of or somehow uh, you know indicating that it's acceptable? Uh, it's always perhaps the, the quote-unquote danger of interfaith is the people who are already there are probably the ones who you don't need to reach out to all the time. So sometimes the challenge isn't so much on how to work with the people who are here, but how to bring more people here. Uh, and that's in some respects where uh, events like this, especially events that are in the public, like here we stand at a, a Sikh Gurdwara serving langar, uh, in the open air. Uh, people just driving by in their cars are witnessing this event and maybe that's enough curiosity to make them wonder what all of this is about. Uh, so the more that, that groups like this get engaged in public space, the more that groups engage uh, from their own faith traditions uh, authentically and, and uh, publicly uh, without fear is I think what draws people in, what gets people, even if it's just through curiosity, to show up. And of course, the, the Sikh community does a great job in offering food at the same time as offering that curi uh, a way to, to, to get by that curiosity. <laughs> what about the, the Wiccan community or your own um, sure. at Firefly? Yeah. How, um, 
how apt are you all to participate in things sure. beyond just yourself as an individual? Sure. Uh, I would love it if we participated more. Uh, we've spoken a few times about trying to get engaged in sort of like DMV writ large sort of service projects, things of that sort. Uh, most of what we do though is educational. We uh, will host educational events about paganism in Wicca and about the Firefly House in specific. Usually it's over at the Arlington Central Library because they'll let us reserve space with a library card, which is really convenient. Uh, so sometimes logistics are still still rule the world. But, um, uh, but that's the way that we've engaged the public in the, in the, uh, for ourselves. Uh, but yeah, we have often discussed how can we become a bigger part of the community. Uh, in some respects it's just like me here today doing what I can do. Uh, but it would be nice to see if we could uh, if we could do more. What's your name? Chris. Chris, great. And what community are you with, Chris? Uh, John Wesley, Mizan Church. Excellent. And is that here in the district? Correct. Excellent. War two. Have you been to this event before? No, I had not been to this. Well, first time to being here. Too. Have, had had you been um, for a long time engaged in interfaith activities, or is this a relatively new thing for you? A long time. Okay. Long term. Okay. And we'll continue to do so. Wonderful. Have there been challenging issues that have come up for you or your community when it comes to interfaith engagement? Well, the number one at this point is race and reconciliation, which is going across the country. And of course, during this time of being under Trump's administration, how we can unify, even though we may be different in regards to our political well-being, whether it's democratic, whether it's independent, whether it's Republican. So those have been trying to close the gap in regards to how we are going to relate to one another in such a political tense environment. And, and what have been the things that have created a bit of tension that there have been efforts to make, you know, tangible steps to resolve? Well, the tense aspect would be the anger we have, or what's known as righteousness anger, towards the gun violence, towards the mass shootings, and how can we best stop this matter in regards to NRAs, in regards to our political uh, parties being more stepping up in that regard. So that's a tense situation, specifically comes from an African-American point of view, which we have been, always have known have been had harsh treatment from our police departments, even though it's not all police departments. Uh, in regards to this has already been happening mm -hmm. within our communities, and now it's continuing to be a mass, seemingly a uh, fad all of a sudden, and we want that to stop. And have you had uh, struggles finding interfaith partners in no, that work? No, not at all. How, how has that come about? It's come about very well because the Interfaith Council specifically has that on the agenda year in and year out. So we're broadening our scope with different other faith traditions and, and making sure that we're going across the DMV to help that cause. Mm -hmm. Coming to an event like this today, um, which is broadly about you know building unity, mm -hmm. What's, what's one tangible thing, a step, or, or something that you're hoping to learn uh, through this experience that you're walking away from that maybe you didn't have at the beginning of the day when you started? One, the continual unity walk. Uh, that this is not just a one-year situation, that this is a monthly aspect. Two, that we are doing more public service together, mm. community involvement, or whether we're going to help the homeless, whether we're going to pack food for the food pantry. So we're putting more of those public things together, as well as how do we craft statements in regards to violence or regards to political unrest that unites us together regardless of our difference of beliefs. Is there one thing from your tradition that um, you feel like is, is misunderstood that you, you would like people to, to understand better? Particularly, you know, thinking about the, the AME Zion community? That we are a group for all people, not just African American, although our name says that in regards to us honoring who we are as our heritage of African people, but we are a, per, a group for all people and for all nations. Uh, secondly, that the stigma of Africans, you shouldn't be afraid of us. What does that Should mean? Should not be afraid of us. So meaning that if I'm walking down the street and you're walking my direction, doesn't mean that you need to go across the street. Or two, if you come into the elevator that I'm on, it's just me and you. Don't hold your purse because we're not that fear. We're not the black is negative, bad, and poor. It is, is that a lived beautiful. experience that yes, you have? Yes, a lived experience mm -hmm. for many of us. Mm -hmm. yes. Good to meet you, Pastor. All right. Good to meet you. My name is JD, and I'm here with the Lazarus Leadership Fellows Program, led by uh, former county council member Bruce Adams in Montgomery County. 
And how does interfaith uh, work fit into that here today? Well, interfaith is just another one of those big community events that's really focused on bringing people together, especially across lines of difference. Um, and Lazarus is all about helping the community and making it, um, the broader metropolitan area more cohesive and more a better place to be a part of. You're Sadiq? Yes. And? I'm Tasneem. Tasneem. And you guys are both part of the Lazarus program also? Yeah. Tell me a little bit from your perspective where interfaith um, work, dialogue, intentional engagement falls in with the work that you guys are doing. Well, uh, our project was all about community dialogue and especially we wanted to have like a community stance on different issues that are commonly not discussed. So faith was one of them. Obviously race, gender, all those different topics and identities, um, they're related to faith in different ways. Mm -hmm. So some of our best conversations, in some of the best ones we were able to connect those different identities mm -hmm. and kind of explore what it means to different people to be a part of certain faiths um, depending on their race and their gender mm -hmm. and their sexuality that was a big one mm. so it was I know that was probably one of the most interesting things that we talked about was faith because it means different things to different people and I think lots of the time um, we want to believe that faith is we want to look at it in a way that is just like this is this community this is another community but when you actually have conversations with people of those communities we discovered that um, it means a different thing to different individuals and so and what's been one of the more challenging or or sticky issues that you all have encountered in these type of spaces when we had people of different ages, um, like older people and younger people of different generations, mm -hmm. you could really see how um, different views, especially on race, have been um, kind of taught to people. I noticed a lot of older people, um, they expressed the belief that um, we're all one race, uh, you know, we, I don't really see race, I, I try not to look at it when I uh, interact with a person but among the younger people um, obviously we're all <laughs> the human race but this sort of colorblind viewpoint is something that uh, the younger folks in the discussions weren't too keen on and for your generation then what's what's been a, a better approach from from your perspective what do you think has, has gone down better when it comes to those type of conversations well I think one of our biggest successes, the, well the reason why we had successful and productive conversations is because we set forth these community guidelines at the beginning of each mm -hmm. discussion that really lay groundwork for productive dialogues. We emphasize the point that we're here for a dialogue and not a debate. There's no prize at the end of this, nobody's walking <laughs> home with a gift card or anything. There's no points to be won. You're just simply sharing your perspective, which leads to the other point of you're talking solely for yourself. You're not supposed to represent your whole group. When I would say my perspective, I'm not speaking for all teenage white males, right? I'm speaking on my perspective and my perspective only. And then we also tried to implement other ways to get everybody to participate because in the bigger group discussions, there are people who will be more eager and ready to share their perspective and people who are more likely to sit back. So we tried to ask everybody to be conscious of what kind of person they are in that regard. And if they are somebody who jumps in eagerly, lean back a little bit and allow space for others to lean in, mm -hmm. those who wouldn't be as prone to speaking up. And what, what's one thing that you feel like you have personally learned about somebody else's tradition that's different from your own that, um, that, that's been impactful for you? I grew up raised, raised Roman Catholic with you know, white Irish and white Italian family. Not a whole lot of what people would consider ethnic diversity. And then now 
I come in and I'm just working with my group and spending a lot of time with them. We had to spend the 200 hours together. Um, and I was spending 200 hours with Tasneem and Sadiq, who are both practicing Muslims. So I learned so much about that faith. And then I learned a lot about the Bengali culture um, through Tasneem. So they introduced me to a bunch of different foods and practices and that they do daily that I've just never heard of. And it was really interesting and eye-opening for me. Um, and the food was really good. <laughs> yeah. Cool. What about you, Tasneem? Have you um, of something? Yeah, I was thinking of um, with uh, immigration, I think my perspective was definitely changed a lot when you speak to different people of different generations. Um, people who are fifth, sixth, seventh generation versus people who are uh, refugees, immigrants, or first generation like me. Everyone has very different reasons for coming to the country. And the, I mean, I actually saw a lot of optimism when we had um, immigrants come speak to us at some of our events and, and join in the dialogue. I was kind of expecting to see a reflection of what I see in the news, but actually speaking um, with people, there's a lot of optimism in, uh, towards like where this country is going with um, our immigration policies and like what we can do about it and how the, the country's so always been of immigrants and will continue to be so. So Great. positive. That's awesome. That's awesome. Definitely the most unexpected thing I saw at the Unity Walk this year, perhaps at any interfaith event, was an honest-to-God sword fight between a Mormon and a Sikh. That was something new. So obviously I had to stop by and find out what was going on. My name is Liesl Brito. My name is Vishen Singh Khalsa. I am the head, or you can say me the leader of teaching martial arts in America. Wonderful. Wow. So that's what I do my best, I mean, to teach my so good martial and, arts. And how did you find yourself here today? Um, my husband has been to this interfaith walk um, before we got married, and I, we're, we're two and a half years married now, and we're in the area and wanted to, I wanted to experience it. Great. And what, what tradition is your family from? Um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Both of you are LDS? Yes. Okay, great. So have you ever been to a Sikh before? No. You hadn't? This is the first time. Yeah, yeah. And how do you feel having all these visitors coming to your Gurdwara? Well, yes, it's our pleasure to teach martial art Gatka uh -huh. to all the children, even the small children as well as the adults. So Those who want to learn the, we call it Sikh martial art. Sikh martial art. So, so I will say that usually when you come to interfaith events, yeah. especially at a Sikh Gurdwara, you definitely get food. Oh, yes. Sometimes I see over here we have people doing the, the turban wrapping. I've never seen sword fighting before. <laughs> but, but, but tell me about the, the Sikh tradition. You carry a, a, a sword on you, a, a, a dagger, right? Yeah, sword. So, so that, that, that martial aspect is something that's part of the Sikh tradition, I think. For the self-defense. Self-defense is part of the... Always a war. I have my sword here. If yeah. you want, I can play with you here. So how, tell me, how are you, is it more of a, a, are you a spiritual warrior or is it a an actual combatant in real life as well? I am a, only, I have learned in school, Sikh martial art, Gatka, how to protect your head, shoulder, legs, everything, you know. And then we can play with daggers and a steel sheet. And kids are learning this from a young age also? Oh, yes, of course. Uh -huh. In Wonderful. schools also. Yeah. Mostly in our Gurdwaras, you know. Yeah. It's my responsibility to teach in every Gurdwara all the Sikh community. What about in the LDS community? Do you have Mormon martial arts also? <laughs> we, we, no. did, we did have a Mormon battalion in the beginning. <laughs> the early right, days. Actually, yeah, it's participating it's act, in uh, one the of the American wars, there was an entire battalion con from the 
Mormon but I, settlement. But I think self-defense was an important part of early Mormon history <laughs> also, right? Is that right? Yeah. Not, so not formally, not but formally. By, necessity, by necessity, yes. One minute, I'll be back with sure. the sword. Okay. So what, what did you, what do you uh, feel like when you're experiencing this, uh, this type of activity here today? This is awesome. Um, I would say we both grew up in pretty open-minded families. Uh, my mom made it a point of letting us go to a lot of different churches. And um, even though I was raised LDS, it, it was an important thing for my family to be exposed to a lot of things. So this is unique in that, you know, where I grew up, which is in Virginia, there's a lot of Baptists, a lot of Methodists. So coming up to this area, there's a a broader spectrum of international faith. So the Zoroastrianism and the Sikhism, mm -hmm. um, and frankly the Judaism. I know that there's um, you know Jews all over the United States, but I don't have knowledge of where the um, synagogue is close to my house. Like mm. I, they don't have a large presence there. So anyway, that was my first time going to a synagogue also. Oh wow, that's, a, yeah. that's amazing. It was really cool. I really liked it. And where did, where did you grow up? I grew up in Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka? We had, we had How many synagogues are there in Sri Lanka? None. None. <laughs> Not even, like, we, we don't even have too many sheiks are in Sri Lanka. Sure but we do have some Sri Lankan Buddhist monks behind you, right there. Oh, wow. Okay. Very so they're cool. from the Buddhist temple uh, dedicated to... Hello. Have to talk to them next. Hi, how are you guys doing? How are you? I am Bhante Nimaladaja. We are from, originally, we are from Sri Lanka. We have a Buddhist monastery in Rockville. Uh, we especially we focus in Sri Lankan community as well as uh, American community. We are practicing different meditation techniques, and uh, especially we are Theravada tradition Buddhist uh, monks. We are okay. Yes. So for for your tradition of Buddhist monks, yeah. Um, do you engage a lot with the world, or are you separate from? Separate. Totally, we separated with the old world. Um, worldly things and uh, we separately live especially monks we have monasteries sometimes you know um, uh, forest monasteries and we totally separate with the ordinary people but and yet today you're here with the people you're yeah. walking together with yes. them actually, so how did that uh, how how is it that you have an interest to do that actually that's a really uh, good experience because uh, uh, personally I don't have the, this kind of experience uh, but uh, we you can haven't see done this type of interfaith work. No, we never been. Oh. Yeah, that's that, that's the reason. Oh, this is a really interesting. We went to the different some churches and Jewish temples and Sikh temples. That's really good. They are very uh, very delighted to talk with each other. Sometimes when while we are walking, we talk with the, some Jewish people. We exchange our uh, about our religions. And um, it's, it's uh, in my personal point of view, that is the uh, most essential thing in this world. If we separated the, the, uh, the different faith, when we argue with others, it will be not helpful to the, our harmony or unity. So what's one thing that you've learned from someone from a different tradition today? Is there something new that you learned today? Uh, actually, um, uh, especially I uh, think about everyone are uh, humankind, everyone wanted to the peace and everyone wanted to the hear each other and uh, everyone wanted the peace and harmony and compassion. Therefore, uh, uh, personally I think about that we should uh, do so, so much thing about the future also because we can see in the whole world going to the worst and uh, some uh, so many some corruption or some uh, some uh, misbehavior rising day by day in very rapidly mental illness therefore if in uh, as a religious leaders if we can talk with each other and if we can share in our uh, our spiritual teachings, it will be helpful to the future generation. And do you think you'll, you'll join us again on the Unity yes, Walk? Yes, definitely. Definitely. Great, great. Yeah, it's good to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, excellent. So there you go, dear listeners, whether you're a monk or a Mormon from Sri Lanka or Springfield, Virginia, 
We were on the move at the 2019 Interfaith Unity Walk, organized by the Interfaith Council of Metropolitan Washington. Check out our Instagram at interfaithish for photos from the event and some of the people I interviewed, particularly from that epic sword fight. That was pretty awesome. And of course, follow the IFCMW for more info about the next Interfaith Unity Walk. As always, I want to give a shout-out and season's greetings to my fellow Interfaith astronauts Miranda Hovmeyer and Sue Katz-Miller, and our musical maestro, Jeff Philosopher. I'm saving a limited edition hipster pastrami sufganiot just for you guys. And thank you, dear listeners, for spending your hour with us as you celebrate the holidays. You can find our entire back catalog of Interfaith-ish episodes anywhere you listen to podcasts. It makes for great holiday travel listening, and be sure to subscribe and rate our show. One episode in particular you might like from last year was our discussion of the celebration of Kwanzaa and the solstice. That's episode 21. You can now find a transcript also of our last episode, number 45, in the show notes. On that show, I interviewed our deaf guest Silas with the assistance of a sign language interpreter, We had a great time exploring the theme of spiritual and physical accessibility, so it made sense that the show would be available to the deaf community as well. Be sure to tell folks you think they would appreciate that resource about our program. Interfaith-ish is on social media at Interfaith-ish. You can keep writing us about the Interfaith-ish you wish to dish at interfaithish at gmail.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-F-A-I-T-H-I-S-H at gmail.com. And we now have our special listener line, 202-599-2953, where you can leave us a voicemail. What interfaith-ish encounters did you have over the holidays? We want to hear your stories. Dear listeners, whether you're celebrating Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa, the solstice, or all of the above, I wish you a festive holiday season with all your loved ones. Interfaith-ish will be back in two weeks. Until then, keep it locked to WOWD 94.3 FM for great music and programs seven days a week, streaming online at TacomaRadio.org.